Danielle Moody here, host of the Woke AF Daily podcast. We've been with iHeart for a year, and what a year it has been. As we head deeper into 2024 and yet another life-changing election cycle, Woke AF Daily is here to keep you sane and woke. Make Woke AF Daily your podcast destination for 2024 election news and analysis. Listen to Woke AF Daily Season 5 on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. The Black Effect presents Family Therapy, and I'm your host, Elliot Connie. Jay is the woman in this dynamic who is currently co-parenting two young boys with her former partner, David. David, he is a leader. He just don't want to leave me. But how do you lead a woman? How do you lead in a relationship? Like, what's the blueprint? David, you just asked the most important question. Listen to Family Therapy on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love Love at first first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael tura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts this is the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, and I am your host, Ramses Ja. And sometimes the amount of stories that make their way to us means that we simply can't cover everything that comes our way. But from time to time, a story just stays with me, and I feel compelled to share it with you and give you my thoughts. And now, one more thing. Nearly one week after Jalen Walker's death and facing growing community pressure, officials in Akron, Ohio, releasing the body camera footage. I won't mince words. The video you're about to watch is heartbreaking. It shows a harrowing police chase followed by a stunning hail of bullets. An estimated 90 rounds fired by eight Akron, Ohio officers, killing and leaving 25-year-old Jalen Walker with 60 wounds to the body, according to authorities. My youngest is 25 years of age as well. And I cannot imagine what life would be like without my son. The approximately seven minutes of raw video released alongside a second narrated clip gives new insight into what preceded the shooting early Monday morning. Police say they tried to pull Walker over for an unspecified traffic violation and an equipment violation, which is not shown on tape. But they say he took off, driving at high speeds, and Walker fired at them. Police saying you can see the flash from the gun from this security camera. shot is fired that changes the nature 
of the contact. Authorities say Walker later ran from his car wearing a ski mask. Officers investigators say fired tasers but missed. What followed? That deadly barrage of bullets. Police tonight saying officers said they thought Walker was turning toward them reaching for a gun. Walker was unarmed when he was shot, though police say they found a gun and what appears to be a wedding ring in Walker's car. Anger in Akron boiling over. We have sons ourselves. It could be any of our sons. And this is just horrible. Like, that many times? We are done dying like this. In this manner, with this fate. Nobody should ever suffer the fate that Jalen Walker did. Tonight, the family revealing just a month ago, Walker lost his fiance. We know that immediately after the death of his fiancée, he was sad, but he wasn't exhibiting any kind of behavior that scared the family. The family's attorneys say the 25-year-old food delivery driver had no criminal record, his mother and sister pleading for peace, overwhelmed with loss. Why? Why did this happen in, in such a manner, such a terrible, terrible way? That's why. And that is the story of the last few moments of Jalen Walker. Um, a story that we are very familiar with. And here we are again, left to make sense of something that doesn't make sense. We're here trying to find a path forward, um, trying to create a better world, one that feels more equitable and more fair. And I think those of us who have a degree of empathy, those of us who live a very black ex experience, um, it's really easy for us to feel hurt by this. But there's a, a group of people who maybe their experience isn't quite the same as most of ours. Uh, by ours, I mean black folks, you know. Um, there are people who might question, okay, so he had a gun. Okay, so... You know, he was running from the police. You know, just the kind of textbook questions that typically come from folks with more conservative views, people that tend to be very pro-police, and on and on. You know the type of folks I'm talking about. Well, I tend to get very frustrated when having to deal with those questions. Um, on this show, the Black Information Network Daily Podcast, um, as well as on my radio show, Civic Cipher, as well as in conversation with people that I know, some people that I love. And this story is no exception. Those questions tend to come out. And I think it's important to, I don't, I don't want to create a defense of Jalen um, any more than I would want someone else to create a defense of the police's actions. But I do want to take this moment to provide some additional context because if you don't consider everything that goes into a moment and really everything that precedes a moment like this and you assume too much, then I think that what you're doing is effectively writing the story that you want to be true. Um, and it may sound like that's what we're doing here today, but I assure you it's not. I just think that by kind of widening the birth of this story, we allow a little bit more room for nuance. So 
as you heard, um, the police mentioned that they they heard a shot as they were pursuing him, um, and how that changes the narrative uh, and changes the way police engage. And that's something that I understand. I get I get it. You know, it's a scary time. There's adrenaline moving. Everyone fears for their life, etc. But I think context matters. You know, they went back and and uh, showed a video of him on the freeway uh, um, driving away from the police. Uh, the police were in pursuit, and they said there was a muzzle flash in it that they got on camera, and the officers uh, say they heard a shot. Now, it's not until maybe um, when all the details come out that you find out that, okay, there was a wedding band in the car and that he had lost his um, fiance, I believe it was. And now you start to reframe what that shot could have been. Of course, in the moment, you don't know. And if you don't know what you don't know, you engage with whatever training you have. But a lot of times, um, the way police are trained doesn't really leave room for human beings to even survive. And so I want to offer this. Um, was that shot directed at police? Because if a man is hurting, that shot could have been a shot for himself. Uh, unfortunately, we live in a world where um, mental health is something that many folks succumb to. Um, and, and unfortunately, suicide is a very real thing that we have to deal with. Um, there's no way that the police could know. Um, and of course, if the car is still moving, you know, it stands to reason maybe that shot, if that shot was for anybody, was for the police. I get why the police could say that, but um, there wasn't a series of shots. It wasn't a firefight. It wasn't anything like that. Um, it was a shot. Is it, it, was it an accidental shot? Was it, you know, what, who knows? Um, and if you're driving away from the police and the, the, the muzzle flash goes out the window, there's nobody aiming that gun. So eh, I, I have a little bit of trouble with that. And of course, you know, the problem with these things when the police kill someone is that they don't get their day in court. You know, we saw with the gunmen on the 4th of July um, at the gun 4th of July parade in Chicago, um, killing six people over this past weekend. You know, he was taken in alive. He gets to explain his actions to his family. He gets to seek some sort of help if that's what he feels that he needs or the state feels that he needs. Um, he gets to have his day in court. Um, now, his actions are a bit more cut and dry. You know, we can assume what the why is, but, you know, I don't want to make the same mistake that many folks are making about Jalen. Now, um, we don't know who that shot was intended for, um, but the fact that there was a shot in the first place causes people to ask another question. Well, why did he have a gun in the first place? Right? And, and it's important to understand that having a gun is not illegal. It doesn't matter if you're black or not black. Having a gun is not illegal. A legal, you know, uh, gun. But let's say it's a worst case scenario. Let's say 
the gun is the worst possible gun in the world. It's a dirty, you know, hood gun, you know, serial number scratched off, that sort of thing. Very illegal. Why would a black man have a gun in the first place? I think that the world teaches us that black men plus guns equals criminal, right? Um, but, you know, as a person from Compton, California, who was born in the 80s, you know, I grew up around crime. I grew up around a lot of that stuff. And the truth is, I'll be honest with you, coming from a city like that, I learned that there's a small amount of people that are really into crime. Um, but most folks are decent folks trying to survive in an environment that is hostile. And some people choose to protect themselves by leaning on religion and Jesus. Some people choose to protect themselves by trying to be neutral. And some people choose to deal with their reality, which might be a little different from the first two examples I gave. And they protect themselves by acquiring some means of defending themselves. And of course, in an environment like that, when other people have guns, you know, the old adage, you fight fire with fire, in this case, literally. So some people choose to protect themselves, but that's the extent. They don't buy a gun to go out and then advance their standing in life. They have a gun because it's a dog-eat-dog -dog environment, you know? And most of those conditions are economic-based. You know, crime, a lot of that crime is based off of economic inequality and people being disadvantaged. And they have to get it from somewhere. These babies got to eat. You understand? But again, my experience has been that most folks, if they have a gun, it's because they're in a really difficult environment. And, you know, it is every single creature endowed with consciousness. It is their customary right to protect their life. And so why would a black man have a gun? I think we should start there. It's not, a, it's not illegal. You know, and it's understandable with a little bit more context why a black man might have a gun. Um, the ski mask thing, again, we don't know because this man didn't have a chance to have his day in court. But again, that's not something that's illegal, especially if you're fleeing, you're trying to conceal your identity, whatever the case is, you know, who knows? From what I understand, the only crimes that have been committed here were uh, traffic violations and, and things like that. There was no robbery that had taken place. And of course, most people, perhaps rightfully so, associate a ski mask with a robbery. But whatever the case is, you know, um, it, you know, it gets cold there. So some people keep those in the car. Again, that's not illegal. But I think that a, a couple of these things strung together gives the right a lot of talking points. And it allows them to draw a lot of assumptions, right? But assumptions are not what make or break a case. Facts are. Well, at least they should be. Which brings me to another point that I feel people make. Why was he running from the police in the first place? If he hadn't done anything wrong, if he had nothing to hide, why did he run from the police? Well, again, any creature endowed with consciousness has a customary right to protect its own life. But also, any creature with a nervous system is able to respond to what is a perceived threat. 
And uh, we, we tend to call this fight or flight, meaning that if provoked or um, made to feel afraid, perhaps any, again, creature with a, with a nervous system in the way that we understand them as mammals, at least, um, will either defend itself or do its best to flee, right? So this, is, this didn't begin with Jalen Walker. You know, this began perhaps with the primordial ooze that ultimately became all life on this planet. Um, but it's easy to say, well, if he was running, then that meant he was guilty of something. And if he was guilty of something, then, you know, this is how this story ends up fleshing out, sad as it is. And I think that that even is a flawed way of thinking about it, because if you're black, I think that there is a ready assumption in terms of why you might run from the police. I, a person that has a nationally syndicated radio show, you know, you're, lis you're listening to this podcast right now, another national enterprise. I have been black since August 17, 1982. I've had recent thoughts of, I actively avoid the police, I'll say, I'll say that much, but I've had recent thoughts of doing my best to, you know, if, I, if they get behind me, which still happens. I mean, I'm talking in the past, maybe we'll say two months. I've had, we'll call it maybe three close calls with police. But, you know, I have a fast car. <laughs> and if I can turn down a street before they can clock me, I might be able to put some distance between me and a police officer who might be tailing me a bit. Um, and I've done nothing wrong, you know, I'm, I'm, but I recognize that if the police get behind me and they choose to engage, I've seen, I've experienced, I, me, Ramses, I've experienced myself the way the police bully me. And I know exactly how far that can go. I know that that can end up in a loss of my own life. You know, if I go into the ice cream store, I don't fear for my life. They don't have guns and a chip on their shoulder <laughs> and when, when we go to get ice cream, you know. But if I have to interact with the police, you know, and they're nervous or, you know, I've been, I have been pulled out of my car on my way to school when I was in college. I was on my way to get an inhaler from my cousin and I was going to school right after it was early in the morning. I've been pulled out of my car at gunpoint by police and they went through my car and they went through my backpack and they messed up all my homework and they left it on the ground and they pulled all of my stuff out of my car. And then they took the handcuffs off of me and they said it was mistaken identity. And had I asserted my rights, had I, you know, affirmed my humanity, <laughs> had I, you know, fought for a little bit of dignity in that moment as they were manhandling me on the side of the street where everyone knew me, that's where I lived, you know, they're making me look like a criminal. Had I had a little bit more uh, fortitude in that moment, um, they could have said, oh, I'm acting irate, now I present a threat, and that could have been the end of my life. And we know this. So I, you know, I played it a little differently than we see a lot of black men you know, play it. But again, it's your right to affirm your you know, humanity and to demand dignity. Um, 
in the example I just gave, I chose not to because it wasn't one officer that pulled me out. There was probably maybe six or 10 of them because I had to stay in the car until the rest of the police showed up. But you can imagine what happens the next time a police officer gets behind me or how that interaction frames the rest of my life. When police get behind me. I'm not super excited <laughs> to just see what's going to happen. I'm trying to get away. So that's one reason why black men might run from the police. Um, but again, anything, when it is scared, when it doesn't feel like it's a fair fight, you know, um, you know, we all know for a certainty that the police have guns. And, you know, again, if you've lived the type of reality that I have, you know, for a certainty that not all police are good people. Right. It's a, there's a question as to whether or not the person in the car getting pulled over has a gun or whether or not that's a good person. But we know for a certainty that all those police have guns, not in the car, not in the trunk like they do in New Zealand. It's on their person. If they get afraid, just like that, shots, the, the officer is shooting. We've seen it happen on video for years now. Remember, Black Lives Matter started after Trayvon Martin was killed because everyone was fed up with the string of police shootings leading up to it. Meaning that we had seen black men and, and women, in most cases unarmed, getting executed by the police. We saw this happening. We didn't hear about it. We, we saw it. We saw the video. And then in 2012, Trayvon Martin died. And that's when everything started. So this is not new. This goes all the way back long before the Panthers. Remember, the Black Panthers were born out of a necessity to police black neighborhoods. Why was that necessity there? Because there had been a long string <laughs> of violent police interactions with black men and women in those neighborhoods in California. So now we're left to deal with the protests and the aftermath and, you know, whatever will come from the investigations and, you know, everyone has their ideas on how to move forward. But I think that in order to really decide on what those things look like, we have to deal with the real. We have to leave some space for nuance. I'm not saying any of these things are true. I'm saying that it's not as cut and dry as some folks make it out to be. Well, if he didn't do this, then this wouldn't have happened. Hmm. That's a very unfair way of approaching something like that. And you can't speak for the dead. And you know what? Had some of the things that we had been asking for in 2020 and before then, of course, happened and been enacted into law, maybe we would not be speaking for the dead. Maybe Jalen would be here to speak for himself. Maybe he needed some mental, you know, when you lose a loved one, you know, who knows what's going through your mind. And, and again, we've seen these mass shooters, these non-black mass shooters, get the benefit of the doubt. They get to have their day in court. They get to say their piece. And I think that's all we're asking. This is why there's a false equivalency when folks try to create a correlation between, okay, why does Black Lives Matter worry about police shootings when they make up a small number of deaths? when black-on-black -black crime 
is so prominent. Well, black on black crime isn't a thing. Stop saying it. Um, and if for some reason a black person happens to take the life of another black person, more than likely it's because of proximity. It's the same thing with quote unquote white on white crime. These are the people around you that you might have conflict with. So, you know, you live in neighborhoods with people that look like you for the most part. And if that happens, guess what? There's the chance, at least, that this person might be held accountable for taking that life. When these police shootings, we know that there is no, you know, these police get off almost 100% of the time. And there's no dignity in that death. It just leaves a family hollow. It leaves a community hollow. It leaves children to grow up without their fathers. And it leaves the rest of us who share this black reality um, to ponder what our life may be worth if they can just kill us with impunity. So what I want is to hear your thoughts. I'm always available for your responses, um, your reactions, etc. Um, check me out. I'm on all social media at Ramses Ja, R-A-M-S-E-S-J-A. And of course, you can use the talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. I'd love to hear your thoughts. Maybe there's something I'm missing. Maybe there's something you disagree with. But this is a these are conversations we need to have together. And I'm hoping that you'll join me. So until next time, this has been One More Thing. This has been a production of the Black Information Network. Today's show is produced by Chris Thompson. Have some thoughts you'd like to share? Use the red microphone talkback feature on the iHeartRadio app. While you're there, be sure to hit subscribe and download all of our episodes. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. People don't always realize just how much their negative thoughts and experiences stick with them and weigh them down. You may find your brain constantly running through a highlight reel of bad moments. That comment your friend made last week that hurt your feelings. That frustrating thing your mom does. Or that silly thing you said in a meeting. Maybe it's time to get it all off your chest. Whether it's a tiny annoyance or something much bigger, talking about it can give you some relief and lead you to a potential solution. That's where therapy comes in. It's a safe space to share whatever's weighing you down and learn to process it so your internal highlight reel can focus on the good stuff. And BetterHelp offers affordable online therapy on a schedule that works for you. Connect with a licensed therapist by text, phone, or video call. Start the process in minutes and switch therapist anytime. Let it out with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com B-I-N today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot B-I-N. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. 
We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Bring a little optimism into your life with The Bright Side, a new kind of daily podcast from Hello Sunshine, hosted by me, Danielle Robay, and me, Simone Boyce. Every weekday, we're bringing you conversations about culture, the latest trends, inspiration, and so much more. Thank you for taking the light, and you're going to shine it all over the world, and it makes me really happy. I never imagined that I would get the chance to carry this honor and help be a part of this legacy. Listen to The Bright Side on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search The Bright Side. I'm your host, Ramses Ja, on all social media. Join us tomorrow as we share our news with our voice. From our perspective, right here on the Black Information Network Daily Podcast.